Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. And as, as you're turning, if you're the parent of a child from ages 4 to 6, you are uh, welcome to let them go to children's worship training. Uh, they will be uh, returned at noon. But if you'd rather keep them with you, that's fine too. We love covenant children and we ask for the Lord's blessing upon them. Uh, as they learn of him and grow up in his nurture and admonition. Our text this morning is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. Uh, let us hear the word of the Lord. This is God's inspired and therefore inerrant word. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love, that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted." Amen. May God bless that reading of His Word to our hearts and lives. Let us pray. Our most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we ask now that Your Holy Spirit, which inspired these words and, and carried along the Apostle Paul, and, and as he wrote, superintended, Your Holy Spirit, which preserved this text and protected it and defended it down through the centuries, that we might enjoy a translation of it here in our laps, we ask, O oh God, that that same Holy Spirit, who is mighty and able to save, might take this text and illumine it for us, shine it as a light in our hearts and lives, make a difference in the way that we think and feel and live. Only you can do this. And so we ask that we would know your power now, even through the preaching of the Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's good to be back with you uh, this last uh, week. Uh, Senior Pastor Fred Greco and I and some of the elders and their wives were at the PCA General Assembly in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, there is a choo-choo in Chattanooga. There is a river and a mountain, and uh, we found some good barbecue, so uh, that made it a, a worthwhile endeavor. But uh, as we come back, our senior pastor is taking uh, a vacation and so he who at this time is keeping the Gospel of Luke open in morning worship will continue that in future weeks. While he's on vacation, 
I'm keeping a, a new New Testament book open, which is 1 Timothy. So this is the second time recently that we have been together, gathered around this first of the pastoral epistles uh, in worship uh, of our living God. We saw last time that this epistle was written by the Apostle Paul and written to his apostolic helper, Timothy. We saw that the book was personal. That is, these are two guys that know each other. They they have love and concern and, and real heartfelt affection one for another as Timothy seems to have come fully to the Christian faith under Paul's preaching and influence. He had become Paul's apostolic helper, one who followed him. We see the two of them uh, palling around together in the book of Acts, as it were. Uh, Timothy became part of the missionary support team and uh, his right-hand man, along with Titus, uh, in the great endeavors uh, for the gospel uh, that they did in missionary work. But this book is not personal in the sense of being private. It's a public book as well. That is, it's open to us all. It was written by the Apostle Paul, and at times in this book he shifts from the singular, I, 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 and you, 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 to the plural, y'all, y'all, y'all. He's speaking not just to Timothy, but to all the others who are looking over Timothy's shoulder and reading this letter. Uh, To that congregation in Ephesus that the letter would have been read to as a way of publicly giving the apostles instructions to his understudy who was to continue his own ministry and work in that place. It was a personal book, and it was a public book as well. And finally, we saw last time that it was a proscriptive book. That is, it laid down the essence of Christian living, of the Christian life, and therefore it's very relevant to all of us. It traced back to its source what we need for Christian living which is none other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This book is well worth our attention together. We we go back to this well, this well of truth for more living water that God alone can give. Paul immediately after his opening salutation jumps to the main problem which is burdening his heart. He is concerned for Timothy and concerned for the Ephesian congregation Because there is a problem in their midst. And he knows it. Because he had pastored there repeatedly over a number of years. He was concerned for Timothy to address false teaching which had sprung up in the church in Ephesus. As a matter of fact, Paul left Timothy behind with these specific instructions. That he was to pastor the Ephesian church and that he was to care for them, and that he was to protect the flock as some came in, and even from their own midst grew up, who thought to pull them astray from the word of God. And so here in verses 3 through 11 in 1 Timothy 1, we see an important truth for our lives, and that is that God graciously provides pastoral care. For needy Christians like you and me. God graciously provides pastoral care for His needy church. Now as we read this whole pericope and take in the the full sweep of what is being said, we see that the first foundational truth is that God has chosen to entrust His gospel to men. You know, when you think about it, that's a shocking idea. 
God did not entrust the execution of the facts of the gospel to men. He sent His own Son into the world who took on flesh and dwelt among us. He had to be the surety. He had to be the sacrifice. He came and did what we ourselves could not do. But when it comes to the gospel message and the announcement to all the world of the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, God chooses to entrust men with this gospel. In the opening verses, we see that Paul's gospel was from the Father and from the Son by faith. He begins the epistle by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by command of God, our Savior, and of Jesus Christ, our hope. He points to the call of God the Father and the call of God the Son. And we know that wherever the Father and the Son are active and agreed, there too also is the Spirit working that the gospel of Jesus Christ might be trans, uh, transform all the earth. Oh, Jesus was an apostle, apostle by the command of all three persons of the Trinity. Uh, later on in verse 4, we read that Paul's gospel was a stewardship from God that is by faith. In other words, the gospel that Paul was entrusted with was not his own. It was given to him from the Lord and by the Lord for good gospel ends. It was his trust, he says in verse 11, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Many years ago when I was at a younger age, now now I was over 18, we did everything legally, um, my father got put me in the car and he took me down to the office of Mr. Sally, attorney at law in South Carolina. He was one of those old, old school lawyers and and he and my father sat uh, together with me in, in his office and because of some medical and familial matters, uh, there were lots of papers to sign. Uh, Mr. Sally announced to me that I was going to be a trustee to help look after part of the family, which I agreed to do. And then he had to school me in that old-fashioned way in, in what my duties thereunto appertaining were. He uh, explained it this way. He said, Duncan, if, if somebody gives you a goat, then you own the goat. But if somebody gives you a goat as trustee, then you don't own the goat. It's not yours. It's the trusts. Now, Paul was not a goat. But Paul was a trustee. He was a trustee of God. God's precious gospel, purchased with the blood of His own Son, was entrusted to Him as an apostle. And He had that inheritance to care for and to carry out to the glory of God all his days. When he went to Ephesus, he took that entrusted gospel with him. He was to teach and preach to the people. Not fancy things that came into his head or or whatever scratched his own itches or, or his political views or his social agenda. He was to preach and teach the good news of the gospel of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. This truth was not his own, it was the Lord's, and Paul was entrusted with it. And that gospel was no impotent thing, it was powerful. Paul's gospel was filled with healing power and glory, he 
here tells Timothy. Verse 10 ends by saying, Sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear the words sound doctrine. Maybe you have a little bit of metallurgist in you like I do, and when you hear sound doctrine, you think of a brass bell or a bronze bell, and someone with a hammer who hits it, and it sounds out a true and a sure sound, and it doesn't crack when it's hit. And that's a nice thing to think of, but you know it has nothing to do with the text before us this morning. It's not about bells that Paul is alluding. He is using the term, a term medically. He's referring to soundness of health. That this gospel with which God has entrusted him is that which promotes good health, encourages good health. Sound doctrine is healthy doctrine that promotes soundness of life and soul. And so we do well to ask ourselves and face the question, is is the gospel with which we have been entrusted, do do we see that it is health-filled and that it is what we need to grow in grace and and to serve the Lord all our days? Or, Or are we obsessed not with the truth of God's Word and the gospel once for all delivered to the saints? Are Are we busy eating junk food? Are we just eating pretzels and chips and dip and just whatever happens to suit our fancy? Or or do we feast on the very Word of God that promotes soundness in heart and life? Oh, God knows that what we need is more union and communion with Christ Jesus our Lord. Every temptation that we face... Every burden that weighs our heart down and discourages us, even everything that tempts us with excitement and interest, all of it needs the blessed balm of health-filled doctrine that our lives might be informed and transformed and that they might grow in grace and in the Lord's mercy we might come to be more like Jesus. Paul's gospel was filled with healing power. And it was glorious. It's not just just a sentimental kind of thing. It's a real thing. It's strong. It makes a difference. It has real power to it. As surely as the Shekinah glory came and dwelt in the tabernacle and then in the temple... As sure as Moses saw a display of the glory of God and that that uncreated light hit his face such that his face glowed and no one could dare look on him and he had to put a veil between them. As sure as that, God's gospel given to Paul is filled with the glory of God. It's power not just to shine and to be seen, but it's power always to transform lives. It takes broken sinners like you and me. It transforms us more and more progressively into the image of Christ. And that is something no man can do in himself. It is something only that God can do. The power of the Holy Spirit is what is at work. You remember the old song? There is power, power, 
wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. You know, if, uh, if I were a barbershop quartet, that would sound a little better. But it's true. God's gospel given to Paul and to you and me is a gospel that makes a difference in lives. That apostolic-based gospel transferred to us is something that ministers from a position of strength and impacts daily Christian living. It helps us in time of need. The pastoral care of that gospel balm applied to heart and life is the means which God has appointed to help and aid in time of trouble. It comes alongside us when we're at a point of weakness. It deals gently with the bruised reed, but it has power, healing and transforming power to make a real difference in your life as Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit with His Heavenly Father. Oh, Paul's gospel is real. And it produces a bumper crop in us. A crop of love. Christ-like love for the Word and for the saints and like God for His world. In verse 5, the Apostle Paul traces for us the anatomy of how true love works in our souls and the effect that His true gospel has on men. He says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. He's digging deeper and deeper and deeper into our lives with his inspired explanation. How do you get a pure heart in a sinner like you or me? Well, our hearts are washed in the blood of the Lamb. They are made clean by the work that Christ does applied by the Holy Spirit to make a place in us fit for the abode and the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit all our days. And how do you get a good conscience when yours is not by nature so good in and of itself? Well, your burdened down conscience becomes, by the blood of the Lamb, relieved of guilt. You find yourself accepted as you were never accepted before. You had your conscience whispering to you, sinner, sinner, damned sinner you are. And now... Washed in the blood of the Lamb, the conscience speaks of your union and communion with Christ, that you have fellowship with God through the Son of His love, and so you are a beloved child of the King. And from a sincere faith, the love of God blossoms deeply in our lives as we receive and rest upon Christ alone, as He's offered to us in the Gospel, Paul probes deep in us to trace this line of activity as God the Holy Spirit applies the work of Christ, giving us faith, giving us forgiveness and freeing us from guilt, and then pronouncing that we are washed and clean and the springing of all of our Christian living can be from the depths of His Son's work in our lives rather than merely our own. Oh, Paul's gospel makes a real difference in the lives of real men and women, real boys and girls. And you know the folks in Ephesus were dressed a little bit differently than we are. They spoke languages a little bit differently than we do, but they were just like we are. They too were sinners, forgiven 
by the blood of the Lamb. Oh, there's nothing more important than, that we can give anyone than the gospel. You know, it is said that it is better to give a man, uh, it is good to give a man a fish, but it's better to teach him how to fish because you don't feed him for a day, you feed him for the rest of his life. And that's a good thing to do. But you know, the most important thing to do is to give him the gospel. Every man needs the gospel. They need to hear. Uh, They have a need of forgiveness and of restoration and of fellowship with God. Giving them the gospel transforms their lives. From the inside out, they are changed. And the Holy Spirit will do for them, as He's done for us. The Holy Spirit will do for them what they can't do for themselves and what we could never do in them. Oh, God, entrust this gospel, true and sure, even to men. But there's another message in this passage that we must soberly accept. And that is that certain people twist the gospel. You see, twice he refers to certain persons. Uh, Up in verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you might charge certain persons not to teach a different doctrine. And then in verse 4, he refers to, uh, verse 5, he refers to certain persons by swerving from these, they have wandered away into vain discussion. Who are these certain persons? Well, they were in Ephesus, that important crossroads of the empire. It was a gateway to Asia Minor, an important and influential city. And heresy in that place could spread like gangrene throughout the empire. Paul knew that the well-being and life of the church, not just in Ephesus, but in all the world, was on the line. And he knew it also from direct revelation from God. Because in Acts 20, as he spoke to the Ephesian elders in Miletus, he told them... He told them under prophetic influence that one day there would be wolves who would come in and ravage the sheep of their flock. And that even wolves would arise from among themselves, endangering the whole church. And by the time we get to the pastoral epistles, we see that prophecy had been fulfilled and it had been done. Certain persons arose teaching a different doctrine and therefore a different gospel. And Paul left Timothy behind to stop them in their tracks. You see, they were taking the word of God and they were twisting it. Verse 3 says, Remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach a different doctrine or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Now, New Testament scholars have puzzled over these words. Uh, We do not always know precisely the meaning of every inspired word in the Bible. It certainly was known to the original audience. But there are times in which our knowledge ebbs and flows. And, And at this point, there are disagreements among scholars as to what these words originally meant. But we know some basic facts about them, Uh, just what the Lord now wants us to understand. These were not newcomers. They were people with a a catalog of distortions. They were innovators 
who innovated using the Old Testament Jewish text. They were twisting the Bible, in other words. They were twisting it to suit their own fancy. While it's a Jewish text they're dealing with, it seems that they're primarily controlled from a worldview that is based in pagan thinking and ideologies and philosophy. And we see in the next generation that this same mode of thinking grew up into the Gnostic heresy, which threatened the very existence of the church. For them, their myth was all-controlling. Like people who put on rose-colored glasses, they, they looked at the text and they read it, and they did not really understand what it said. They twisted it, subtly and not so subtly, to suit their own views. This language of uh, them being involved in uh, endless genealogies implies reinterpreting the lessons of the patriarchs in Genesis and throughout all the Old Testament to push Christ off of the center stage of redemptive history. Uh, They didn't accept the normative interpretation of the Old Testament given in the New, particularly in the book of Hebrews and in Paul's preaching in Acts. They had their own ideas of of what God was like and where he was from and how our world came into existence and, and how everything should be interpreted in that light. The Bible, as they handled it, was not Christ-centered. And so, by their different doctrine, the gospel was lost. Now, brothers and sisters, let me press you. You see, you need to understand that this is not just a problem that happened back in the Ephesian church 2,000 years ago. This is a problem that is always a problem in the church. Oh, every man, woman, and child is endangered by false teaching. And so we do well as we read this text, as we sit under its preaching, to open our hearts and say, Lord, what is it about me? What lesson should I learn here? Gaze into this text as a mirror because every man, woman, and child is tempted to a heresy. All of us are tempted by the devil to turn astray from the truth of the Word of God. We do well to gaze into the mirror of the Word and prayerfully search our own hearts. The Lord knows there are plenty of heresies around today. You can hardly turn on the television or read a newspaper or... If you click online and and you just type into Google heresy, just buckle your seatbelt. It is alive and active, false teaching in our day. And these certain persons in Ephesus were engaged in that kind of scripture twisting. Now there's also something else here in the text to get the ire of every red-blooded Presbyterian going. Certain persons in Ephesus acted also against proper order. Verse 6 says, Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law, without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Whoever these people were in Ephesus, they were not outsiders, they were insiders. They seem to possess some positions of influence and importance. It sounds like they aspire to be teaching elders and to preach and teach their false doctrine to the whole church. Some have even speculated that they had sympathizers on the session in Ephesus 
And so the church was deeply in danger. What they didn't have was a gift from Christ to be an authorized teacher in the church. You see, pastors and teaching elders, they are not gifted by men. It's not that the elders gather around and lay hands on them and and we control the gifts that they receive. Rather, we gather around and publicly lay hands on them to recognize the gifts that Christ gives to His people. Christ's gifts and His gifting is His calling. And the congregation merely recognizes those gifts and so elects those men voluntarily to office. You or I can no more make a man an elder, then we can go down to the car lot and buy an automobile and make it a car by putting it in the garage. It is a car long before we get our hands on it. Oh, the Lord is the one who gifts and the Lord is the one who calls and He gives gifts to men to make them a gift to help protect and aid His church. The certain persons in Ephesus were not so gifted And they would have done well to put their fingers on their lips and to sit at the feet of the Apostle Paul and to sit at the feet of his understudy Timothy that they might learn that which they did not know. So what shall we do? The gospel is a trust given to us by Christ and by the Heavenly Father. And there are false teachings that abound around and even within the church, what are we then to do when faced with such danger? Well, this this is a common problem, an ordinary one we learn from our text. And it's a common problem that calls for pastoral care. You see, every church has faced this problem, and that might be something you missed as you Uh, We together read verse 3, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So we catch on to the fact there quite easily that Timothy faced a church pastorate in which there were certain persons teaching wrong doctrines. But implied in Paul's language is also the fact that during his tenure there, the same thing kept plaguing the church. And this is not a book of private correspondence, it's a public one. And therefore, it speaks of the kinds of problems that exist in all churches, in all ages, until Christ comes again. Oh, we do well to recognize that all the churches face this challenge. And so, false doctrine even today must be challenged and stopped. Paul ordered Timothy to keep watch. He ordered Timothy to stop the rot in their midst. And so elders gifted and called by Christ, recognized by His people and properly elected, should ever be vigilant, shepherding, caring, watching over the flock. Brothers and sisters, Paul tells us that this is the essence of love, that your elders care And that they do pastoral care in all of its aspects. The Word of God taught. That includes the choosing of curriculum. Not just for older ones, but also for younger ones. Overseeing the old and the young in their Christian education and instruction. Applying the Word of God from pulpit 
and from lectern in the office and private counseling and also house to house, those who are charged with pastoral care have a responsibility to love the people of God by doing that which some think is not so loving, which is saying no to error which undermines gospel truth. There's another thing Paul leaves with us as an important aspect of daily Christian living that we all need to prosper in our souls and be healthy. And that is not just that error is rejected, but that truth, biblical truth, is accepted and spread far and wide. Uh, Verses 8 through 11, the ending of our section, do this by example. Paul takes a, a certain section out of the Old Testament a great mountaintop of revelation in the Old Testament, that is, the Ten Commandments, the first portion of Scripture inscripturated by the very finger of God onto tablets of stone and placed at the center of the worship life of Israel inside the Ark of the Covenant. Those ten words of the covenant, those ten commandments, teaching us all about Christian living causing us to feel our need of a Savior by causing us to recognize how far short we fall of His glory and that we are sinners. Paul Paul here uses that apex of teaching as an example of what we are to do together as we seek to spread biblical truth in our own hearts and lives. The whole of the Scriptures are to be taught but as a sample, a mountaintop sample, Paul teaches us of that whole. Maybe you caught some echo of the Ten Commandments. It's it's not that the Ten Commandments are repeated. They are given in negative application. He says, we know the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding, that is, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for, and then he gives a long list categories or kinds of sinners. Now you can perhaps see it in the more specific set. He he says in the second table of the law, for those who strike their fathers and their mothers, and so we have the echo in our ears of honor your father and your mother. And then the next term is for murderers, and so we remember the command number six, thou shalt not murder. Uh, for For sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, And we remember the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. For enslavers, and so we remember, thou shalt not steal, even steal other men. Uh, Commandment number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness. It is here in terms of for liars and perjurers. And then the tenth commandment, which we uh, recited uh, the meaning of through the Heidelberg Catechism this morning, is the commandment that turns all the others inside out. We see the heart of the matter, that we are never from our heart to covet anything that is not rightly ours. And in so we break all of the commandments rather than just that one. And so a broad brush is used by Paul when talking about the tenth commandment. It is for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Oh, the first table of the law is there too. The fourth commandment when it says for the unholy and profane, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Uh, The third commandment when it says for the ungodly and sinners, that we're not to take the Lord's name in vain because he will not leave us unpunished. 
Oh, the first commandment and the second are there as well in the language of the lawless and the disobedience. The point here is that the Apostle Paul is helping Timothy know how to apply the balm of good doctrine, to bring about the healing and strengthening and recovery of his people by giving a good example of it here for him from one of the most rich and important portions of Old Testament Scripture. Oh, biblical truth must be spread far and wide if the pernicious error of the Scripture twisters is to be stopped. God graciously provides pastoral care for His needy church that we might live to His glory. Trust in Him. Ask Him to meet your every need. Prepare yourself for the word read and preached and sung and prayed and seen. Fill your life with the very word of God and with its truth. And don't be discouraged when there's error. Recognize that God has provided remedy that we might all be more like Jesus. Let us pray. Our most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we do pray for your blessing upon Christ church. We ask that you would protect the flock and strengthen it here with the very word of God. We thank you for faithful preaching that comes from this pulpit regularly and we pray that you might continue to work in our hearts and lives. Make us new after the image of Jesus. And O oh God, we pray that indeed you might make us those who also carry the good news of the gospel to all around us, that we might point them and meet their greatest need by pointing them to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.